Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. We are picking up where we left off last week, still in Mark chapter 1. Last week we saw how Jesus was consistent in his ministry. He was the same Jesus when he was in church that he was when he was walking with his disciples along the Sea of Galilee as he was when he was in the home of Simon. He was the same Jesus. And what we see and what we saw last week is that everywhere that Jesus went, crowds began to follow Jesus. Everywhere. I mean, and it kind of makes sense, right? Because he was doing some pretty amazing things. <laughs> this was something that, that no one had seen before. And, and so as a result, people began to follow. After Jesus fed the 5,000, the, the crowd grew substantially. And while it would be just amazing to say that, that Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 was, you know, people were like, oh, this guy, you know, is the son of God, and that's why we're following him. I'm going to hazard a guess to say that a lot of people were following Jesus because they're like, man, we could get another free lunch. And, you know, maybe that's pessimistic to say, but I, I think it's got to be true. And the reason I say that is because if we look at the crowds that are following Jesus, the crowd that came to uh, Simon's house that we see in chapter 1, right? The crowd that came, the city came and flocked to the front door of Simon's house. What were they looking for? Were they looking for the Son of God? Maybe somewhere, but can I say almost definitely they were probably more looking for the next miracle. That, that next healing, that next sensational event that they have never seen before. So everywhere Jesus goes, crowds are beginning to follow him in search of the miracles that he's performing. You might even say in search of the gift as opposed to the giver. And as a result of these crowds, Jesus makes a change. He makes a change to his schedule to make sure that the important thing stays important. And as I was preparing for this morning, I I considered a a title for this as being um, early rising. But then I thought everybody would leave. So (laughs) so I I didn't call it that. And we're going to call it Keeping the important thing important. As you go throughout your day, do you find that there are things that have the tendency to be a distraction? Do you find that there are those things in your life that redirect you away from the one thing that you had planned to do that day? Do you guys ever have that where you're like, you have, okay, this is the thing. This is the most important thing for me to get done today. And you, you arrive at like 11 p.m. And you're like, what happened? <laughs> it was just one thing that needed to get done. But all of this stuff kept bombarding me to the point that it just never happened. As a teacher of, of school children, 
You, you never run into that, right? <laughs> Tim, that's not a thing in your life either, right? Okay. <laughs> All of your, your planned days go exactly as you, you expect them to. Um, Ephesians five fifteen through 17, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity... <laughs> This is kind of funny now in the light of school children. Because the days are evil. (laughs) Sorry, not intended. Uh, (laughs) Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What does that mean? It means be intentional about how you're living. Because there are things throughout our day that are trying to distract. Things that are trying to take attention. 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. So what this is starting to say is that it's not just a matter of making that, one, that point in time decision, that there's this pattern of training ourselves to, to make these decisions, to, to prioritize correctly, to run our day. Ezra 7.10, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. So I understand that's the Old Testament. That's talking about a specific person. But that is a skill that is relevant to our conversation today. This is showing that Ezra devoted himself to studying the word of God And it didn't stop there. He then studied the word of God and said, hey, I'm going to now go teach it to some people. Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. This morning, we aren't going to look at, at any specific person's example except Jesus. Because when it comes to who I want to model my life after, it seems like Jesus is a pretty good target. It seems like Jesus is a pretty good example. And now, I don't know if we need to lock the doors for just a minute here because I'm going to read Mark 1, 35 through 39. Everybody just calm down, okay? It's going to be all right. And rising very early in the morning (laughs) while it was still dark. Don't you love how they had to like emphasize it? It was dark early. (laughs) He departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. It's like, it's it's like 4 a.m. What do you mean everybody's looking for me? And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why he came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus' day was a constant, constant barrage of endless people needing things from him. Last week we talked about how he was confronted. He, he was in church. He was participating at the synagogue when a demon-possessed man stands up in the middle of church and calls him out. So that was a need that he needed to take care of. 
So he finishes church, he goes to a friend's house, and as soon as he walks in, there's another need that's brought to him that says, hey, my, my mom's not, not doing well, can you, can you heal her? And she says, yeah. And then after that happens, the entire city starts queuing up in a line at the front door of Peter's house, and, and each one saying, hey, I've had this issue with my legs since I was born. Can you do something about it? She says, yeah, I can do something about that. And this other one says, hey, my, my son is blind, and, and I don't know what's going to happen to him once his, his dad and I aren't here. What, can, can you do something about this? He says, yeah, I can do something about that. And, and one by one, the city brings their needs, and Jesus isn't like, hey, I'm tired. You guys should have come to church. I was doing stuff at church. No, he says, this is why I'm here. So from the moment that the sun rises to the moment that it sets, we never once see a wasted moment of Jesus' time. And you know what's interesting is, and granted, we don't know every conversation that happened with Jesus, but we don't see a whole lot of examples of, of conversations where people are sitting down with Jesus and like, how's the weather today? Like, how, what do you think about the, that new model of fishing boat that they just came out with? They, they were bringing the big stuff. They were bringing the big, heavy life needs. That would be hard. And I think sometimes it's easy for us just to write that off as, well, he's Jesus. He can handle that. And it's easy to write it off because he was Jesus and he did handle it. But the important thing for us to look at this morning is that he handled it in a way that we can handle it as well. There's an approach, there is a process, a strategy, there is a way of life that he, he demonstrated, he modeled for us, that is supposed to be a reality in my life. Did you know that we're not supposed to be held hostage by the urgent things in our life? And yet, some, can I be honest, that, that happens on a regular basis, <laughs> So often I find myself at that, that same point that I just mentioned, that 11 o'clock, man, I just had like three things I was trying to get done today and I only did one of them. And what we see modeled in Jesus' life over and over and over again throughout all of the Gospels is that many times Jesus went out of his way to leave the crowds behind. He even walked on water to get away from the people. Have you thought about that before? Like, that is the extent that Jesus was like, I need some alone time. And who was waiting for him at the other side? (laughs) More people. (laughs) The only way that Jesus could create the, the margin that he needed to be with the Father was if he woke up earlier than everybody else. Verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. 
And guys, it's not like this is late into Jesus. We're, still, we're in chapter one. <laughs> it's not like Jesus was like, man, it, it's been a while. I need to get good. He recognized this is the very beginning. This is the kickoff point. And he is modeling in this moment the need to be in constant contact and communication with the Father. That this is so important that Jesus says, everything else has to wait until this thing gets done. And so Jesus comes into communication into this, this prayer time with his father before the day starts by removing himself from all of the other distractions, all of the other noise. He places himself in a quiet place away from distraction in order to hear. So here we are on Veterans Day weekend. We just had a, a time of remembrance yesterday. I was, as I was thinking about Veterans Day, the, the Battle of Normandy specifically, there's, the, the invasion took place on June 6th, but was originally slated to happen earlier. And it had to get postponed because there is all of this bad weather that was coming. And so General Eisenhower, he is consulting with this meteorologist. And can we just pause for a minute? And you want to talk about the unsung hero of (laughs) that battle is this meteorologist who's like, man, if there has ever been a time where you need to be 100% sure that this is going to work, (laughs) you, you need to be accurate today. General Eisenhower talks to his meteorologist and his meteorologist says, you, you have to reschedule. This will not work if you try to do this invasion on this particular day. Even if you try to show up on, on the 6th, the weather's still not going to be good, but it'll be better. So before 6.30 in the morning on, on June 6th, paratroopers and, and glider troops are dropped behind the enemy lines and we see this invasion that comes through and and 156,000 Allied troops land on shore that day. And even with the better weather, still 4,000 troops lose their life. Here we have a general, a commander of thousands, consulting someone who can see out ahead to get instruction and direction for how he's supposed to operate in the today. That's what we see in that example. If this is the way to win wars, shouldn't we be doing it too? Shouldn't we be consulting the the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God of the universe saying, God, I'm, I'm here for you. Don't we need to go to someone who can see out ahead further than we can so we can get the proper direction and the proper guidance. And I mean, it's almost like this is just comedic emphasis at this point. I mean, as Jesus goes off into the, the wilderness to pray, as he's away from everyone else, it's, you know, I just made up 4 a.m. You know, it's sometimes super early and very dark. And even in the midst of that, his disciples go find him and tap him on the shoulder. 
I mean, it's just like a cartoon at this point. Even before he, he finishes, we have disciples coming and say that Jesus needs to get back on track. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And what's interesting is if you look at the original language used for the word searching, um, it's not like they were looking for him to give him a hug. The, the searching that they're using is hunting. <laughs> there, there are people hunting for you because they need something from you. Where have you been? We have needs. And you're the one that has to take care of them. So that's the, the expectation that exists on G, in Jesus' life. And, and so what is his response? Is he, well, okay, I guess that's what they're asking for. No. What we see through the behavior of Peter, what we see, and we see it throughout Scripture, is there's this emphasis of you have the group. The crowd is building. The the numbers are, are, are building. You need to do whatever it takes to get that crowd as big as you can get it and to keep them. This is the whole reason you came. And what we start to see over and over is that we are more inclined to build a crowd for God than we are to nurture relationship with God. And can I just say, this is especially cautionary as a pastor, because it is a huge temptation, a huge tug on the sleeve to say, maybe you should just say it this way so that we can have a few more people sit in the seats. Maybe we should do this particular thing so that we get some more people in the seats. But at the end of the day, this is a matter of importance because these words are the words of Jesus. This is the the life of Jesus that we're talking about. And I'm not going to be the one that compromises that message. And so what does Jesus do when he's brought brought this, this invitation, this direction by Peter saying, hey, we need to get you back on schedule. Peter says, hey, there's this whole crowd of people who have a plan for you, who have their own agenda for you, and they want you over here. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to go this way. And why was Jesus able to say, I understand you want me to go this way, but I'm going to go this way. Why was he able to do that? Because what he had just done. He had just spent the time with the Father saying, hey, this is, this is the plan. This is getting confirmation of what it is that's supposed to be taking place. Jesus understood the difference between urgent and important. Let's get into your day for just a minute. So we, we've all had these days of feeling like you're bouncing around, putting out fires, and actually, actually accomplishing pretty much nothing. A day where, where other people's poor planning or their tendency to incorrectly identify hardships as monumental emergencies that are important for you to address. 
It's in these days that we have to fight back against the tyranny of the urgent. And this is, the tyranny of the urgent is a, it's a, a pamphlet, it's a, a writing by Charles E. Hummel that I read early on when I was uh, studying at, at the Bible Institute. And it's something that is, has stuck with me. Because it is so true for all of us that, that there is this constant battle uh, of the urgent things in our lives trying to, to claim importance. It says, we live in constant tension between the urgent and the important. The problem is that the important task seldom must be done today or even this week. Extra hours of prayer and Bible study, a visit with that non-Christian friend, any of those projects can wait, but the urgent tasks call for instant action, endless demands, pressure every hour and every day. And if we let them, those things will constantly be the hindrance to the important thing getting done. Jesus refused to allow other people's agenda to deter him from the Father's plan. Jesus was not going to allow himself to be used as a lottery ticket. And yet, let's be clear, as we look at Scripture, we see over and over and over again that Jesus is meeting physical needs. Over and over and over again, Jesus brings physical healing. Jesus feeds the people. Jesus does things. He shows up in ways that are amazing. And yet, he is also always emphasizing the spiritual need as the priority. Jesus was setting priority when Peter said, hey, you need to go this way. He says, no, this is the direction I need to go. This is the, the priority. This is the important that task that needs to be done. I'm not going to allow the urgent items that people have identified to derail me from what it is that God's calling me to do. So Jesus was setting the priority. And you know what's, what's interesting if you look at your own life? Did you know that if you don't intentionally set priority in your life, it will be set for you? <laughs> if you choose to passively show up to your day, there will become priorities for you. So most of you know I'm, I'm the director in an IT company. I am in lots of meetings, lots and lots of meetings. And so I have a whole company that is outside of, of my company that, that makes cold calls. They, they uh, do sales calls to other businesses saying, hey, do you, do you guys have a need for IT services? And they have access to my calendar. And so I have over, easily over 1,000 calls being made a month, that they just have the opportunity to slot a meeting in whenever they want to on my calendar and whenever it's available. And if that was just the way that I did live my life, I would have no control. I would not be able to get anything else done. And so the way that I have to approach that is they are only permitted to schedule those calls within specific time parameters that I set, saying by this time, from this time to this time, I'm available. I am going to be focused on this particular task that, that I'm ready to, to work with. However, you don't get to choose to schedule this for me at, from 8 to 8.30 because I need to take my daughter to school. <laughs> and so I have to make a choice 
choice, an intentional decision to actually slot that out on my calendar saying, this is something that I'm going to do so that they don't try to slap something in there on top of it. And so if I don't set a specific priority or specific point on my day, then this other company has the ability just to slot it in at any time. Or anybody else within my company has the ability to schedule me in for a meeting at any time. And so I have to intentionally make sure that I am setting the priority of what I know is the most important thing. So here's the question. If Jesus was this diligent to spend time with the Father, how dependent of that time should we be? And, you know, this is kind of an interesting theology check. Do you think Jesus really didn't know what it was that he was supposed to do until he sat down and had that time of prayer? I don't think so. I, I think he was probably pretty well in tune with what it was he was showing up there to do. So, I mean, he wasn't just coming to the Father because it was like, man, I, I, I don't have a plan for what we're supposed to do tomorrow. God, what, what's going on here? <laughs> no. He was doing it as a model. And we know he was... He, that, that's a pretty dependable uh, thought because why did he just do the baptism just a few verses before? Part of the reason Jesus showed up to get baptized was to, as an example, saying, this is a good thing that everybody should be doing and I'm going to show you by doing it myself. But that's not the only reason. One of the reasons that Jesus said, hey, I need to spend time with my father is because he wanted to. And so one of, the, one of the most important points that I think we could get out of this is to be encouraged to try to find ourselves at that place of, of it not being the checkbox next to take out the trash of have I done my quiet time with the Lord today and maybe we could get it to the place of this is something that I actually look forward to. This is something that, that brings value to the rest of my, my day, the rest of my, my existence. So, quick poll. How many people are early risers here? Okay. <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> How many people are night owls and we'll say the opposite of early risers? <laughs> okay. Again, no judgment. <laughs> so, our family is split which makes for some dangerous situations. Uh, one thing that comes out of having a mother who isn't an early riser <laughs> is that our kids were trained from a very early age regarding when it was appropriate to get out of bed, even when they were in their crib, when it was appropriate for them to wake up and start the day. And so they had a calendar that actually turned, or they had a, an alarm clock that would turn color. So when their alarm clock turned green, they knew it was okay to start waking up and playing with toys. 
And so I have my alarm set to wake up before the rest of my family so that I can get myself ready because I can guarantee you that at 6.10 a.m. when Eve's alarm goes off, who is also a morning person, she is going to immediately make her way out to the living room and quietly ask what's for breakfast. I can guarantee you, like within seconds, that is what will happen. And if there is ever a time that that doesn't happen, something is wrong. (laughs) And that sweet, small ask is the kickoff of people needing something from me for the rest of the day. And please understand, I'm not saying that like, oh, poor me. That's reality, and it's the reality for everybody, is, is there is something that kicks off for each of us at some particular point that says, okay, now, from here on forward, there are people that need stuff from you. And so because of that reality, we should be able to clearly see why we need to set time aside for the Lord. And, you know, let's, let's have this conversation, right? And did you know that it doesn't say one time in the Bible? Quiet time is never mentioned in the Bible, like quiet time. And I think one of the reasons quiet time was never mentioned is because I'm pretty sure it wasn't a, hey, you need to have this, like, no less than 15 minutes of time set aside specifically for this event, And the reason I think that we probably don't want that is because if we said you need to have 15 minutes at least set aside, after you did your 15 minutes, you would check it off and say, I'm done with God for the day. Thank goodness. And so this idea of, of, well, Matt, I'm not a morning person, so how am I supposed to do this? And, and, you know, is it really that bad if I do it in the evening or can't I do it like during my lunch break? Here's the saying that I stick to. Sometime is better than no time all of the time. (laughs) there is a benefit to starting your day in the word and having those passages in your heart as you come into the challenges that you will inevitably face can I just say that like that is just a reality but similarly there is a benefit to having God's word on your heart as the last thing that you dwell on in your day bringing peace to areas in your life that have been anything but peaceful So what does that tell me? If, if there's value to having God's word on my heart at the end of the day, there's value to having God's word at the, in my heart in the beginning of the day, and I'm pretty sure I could find a reason why it's, it's valuable to have God's word on my heart in the middle of the day. Is there any light bulbs clicking here? <laughs> if that's the case, it tells me that I'm not supposed to relegate God to that one little checkbox. There is supposed to be a lifestyle of consulting God that is made up in part by a dedicated time set aside to prayer in God's word. So I'm not coming here this morning saying you guys all have to start waking up at 4 a.m. And and if you don't start waking up at 4 a.m., you are no longer a qualified Christian. <laughs> no. 
the encouragement that, that I would bring to us this morning is to say, God, where, what is an area in my life where I can, can dedicate specifically to you so that this time can, can be a time of, of receiving from you, a time of receiving direction, of receiving encouragement? And maybe it starts as it needing to be a checkbox. Do you know there's value in things being a checkbox? Because what happens when you have a checkbox that you need to check off for a, a new habit that you're trying to build? That thing that, that can I, I say, early waking isn't something that I necessarily love. It's just something that I do. And the reason that I do it is because it's something that I've always done. And so at this point, I don't really even consider not waking up. It's just, well, this is what I do. And so maybe you start as saying, okay, let's just say 6 a.m. 6 a.m. is a little less scary, right? So let's say it's 6 a.m. and we say, okay, this is the time I, I think we can do this. And you start waking up and you check the box and you say, okay, I did it. <laughs> And then the next day, you check the box. You're like, man, that snooze button is looking really attractive, but you check the box. I read, I can't remember the quote exactly, but it's something like, I think it's a Keith Green song, actually, but it's something like, Jesus went to the cross. Are you really going to hit the snooze button or something like that? Um, <laughs> so so maybe, maybe you need some level of guilt associated to it. I don't know. It's up to you. But so you check this box and you check this box. And can I tell you, if that is the box that you check for enough time to where you're building that habit, where it's now ingrained in you, that initial gut reaction, that initial repulsion of, of needing to, to spend that time, it goes away. And then pretty soon you find yourself, when you miss that time for whatever reason, miss, missing the, the entire purpose behind it. And pretty soon there's a, a longing for it. And then that then turns into, well, I, I was just doing 15 minutes, but I'd really like to do 30. And, and that hunger and that desire grows. And I know I'm using the, the early riser uh, mentality primarily because that's what I know. But, but again, this is a conversation that, that has less to do with the specific time of day and more with the dedication of time whenever you find it, whenever you have it. And the, the final point and the, the impact that that can have on our life is that not only does that impact us how we, how we interact with God. That if, if I choose to, to dedicate that time, to set that time aside, it, it absolutely impacts the relationship that I have with Christ. But did you know that that will directly influence all of the time that you spend with the other people in your life as well? If you allow yourself to be shaped and transformed and to, to be influenced by your time with God, then that will absolutely influence and shape and modify and transform the time that you spend with others, with your family, with your parents, with your kids, with, with your neighbors, with your coworkers.
Jesus spent time with the Father because he loved the Father. And so, while yes, there is a a required level of intentionality that, that exists for us, ultimately, I want us to get to this place of recognizing that we want to spend time with God because he loves us and because we love him. Not because we get something from him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you want to be with your children. We thank you that you really love us. That you sent your son who came to this earth, who lived a sinless life, who showed us how to live, showed us what it meant to be in relationship with you, in real relationship with you. And God, here we are, still trying to to sort out what it means to be called by you, what it means to be your children. Here we are learning still. But God, today we, we choose to dedicate our lives to you. We choose to dedicate our time to you. God, take it, use it. Allow us to focus on the important things that you have called us to and not be distracted by the, the urgent cares of this world that, that will constantly arise. We ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 